Well, good morning. Oh, I hope that y'all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you. I was out a couple of Sundays, but I know that you were served faithfully uh, by Nathaniel, who's one of our members, and then Pastor Jeff Neal, who is from Logos Community Church out in Harlingen. Uh, I know those dudes did a wonderful job. I got to listen to their sermons while I was out, uh, and so I'm just very, very thankful to God for them uh, and y'all receiving them so well. In the event that you didn't hear, Christina, we're going to find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 12 through 22. We're taking a, a short break in our time in, uh, from, from Galatians. And, uh, and as a result, we're going to look at what God has to say to us through the Apostle Paul uh, from his time uh, or from his letter to the Thessalonians. As you do that, I got a couple of things for you just to hook you up with some reminders. The first one is, if you're new, we want to hang out with you because we love hanging out. That's our thing. We love community. We love friendship. We love people. And so fill out a connect card. They should be on the chairs before you. Fill one up, drop it in the, in the information booth in the back, uh, and one of us will get back with you within 24 hours to hang out, even during the holidays. Like some companies don't even do that, uh, but we're not a company. We're a church. Uh, nevertheless, that's that. Number two, we love God's word. We love preaching from God's word. We preach from books of the Bible. Uh, so if you do not have a Bible, let us hook you up with a Bible. That would be our gift to you. They are also in the chairs and located in the back connect desk. Uh, and uh, that's our gift to you. Or if you know someone who would benefit from having a Bible, hook them up, get them God's word into their hands. And the last thing, you might even see this, uh, you might even see this on um, the video announcements later, uh, but December 4th, I believe that's a Saturday. Uh, gentlemen, we're having our last men's gathering for the year. And that's gonna be Saturday, December 4th, here at the incubator at 10.30. Bring your Bibles, not your Bible apps, your Bibles, okay? So make sure you make plans for that time. Uh, nevertheless, I think that's all I have for us. Um, I'd like to dig right in, and I'd like to dig right in with a story, right? May I should say it this way, a story from a book I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, because if you know me, it's not necessarily something I would know out of the blue, and you'll know why as I begin. So, for instance, in 1961, right, Coach Vince Lombardi walked into the first day of practice as the, as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Right? And if you know, like, clearly Marco wouldn't know this. And you're right, because I'm not a, a sports person. I don't know much about football, but I love leadership. Right? Nevertheless, he walks into the first day of practice. All 38 football players are in attendance. They show up. And a couple of months prior to this training day, to this training camp, they had lost the championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. Over the course of the offseason, all 38 players had been thinking about their loss. They'd been thinking about what they need to do better, what they need to improve, how they could lose at the end of the game. And as they walk into training camp, they're all ready to think and work on the finer details of their strategy. In his book, When Pride Still Mattered, David Marinus explains what happened when Coach Lombardi showed up for the first day of training camp. Here's what he writes. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. 
He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. Vince Lombardi was known for his drive on the fundamentals of the game throughout their training camp. Each player remembered and relearned how to block and how to tackle. One author even records that Lombardi had, quote, an obsession with the basics. At one point during the training camp, Max McGee, who was a former Pro Bowl wide receiver, joked with Lombardi saying, "Uh, Coach, could you slow down a little? You're going too fast for us. In short, a story like this reminds us that without the fundamentals, details are useless. It's the fundamentals that help us to build a foundation. After all, we're only as strong as the ground that we stand upon. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, friends, brothers and sisters, this is a Bible. This is a Bible. And I want to provide you with four brief fundamentals about the Bible. Here's the first one. The Bible is God's word. It is authoritative. It is our highest authority. It is not our only authority, but it is our supreme authority. Additionally, the Bible, God's word, is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. He says it through the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He goes on to say that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuke, and reproof. Additionally, the psalmist in Psalm 1 goes on to say that he will meditate upon God's Word day and night. And we learn from the psalmist that dependence on God's Word leads to delight. The Bible is God's word. Number two, the Bible teaches us the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel is, in short, that Jesus saves sinners. That is the beauty of the gospel in brevity. And if we look at the the story of redemption, the story of Scripture from that 50,000-foot view, as we open the pages of Genesis, we see that God spoke everything into existence and called it good. And when he created man, he said that man was very good. And he gave man uh, a role, right? To, To put them in the garden, to cultivate the work, to be stewards of all the resources that God had given them, to be fruitful and to multiply. And it's only a couple of pages later that something happens where we sin, In other words, what Adam and Eve did is that they wanted to be like God. They believed the truth, or excuse me, they believed the lie of Satan over the truth that God had spoken to them and revealed to them. And therefore they sinned. And when they sinned, they brought corruption and death and sin into the world. And what ended up happening is something called that you and I inherited Adam's guilt. That we are born into sin. That we, our instinctive nature is to rebel against God. When you read through the pages of scripture and you see this little phrase, the flesh, the flesh is that internal nature of yours that desires to rebel against God. 
And in the garden, God didn't just leave them where they were. He just didn't leave them to themselves. Rather, he covers them with his grace and tells them that one day he is going to send someone who is ultimately going to reclaim and restore and redeem all of creation. And then one day, God enters into human history as the man Jesus Christ to live the righteous life that you and I cannot live, to die the death that you and I deserve to die in our place and freely offers us the grace of salvation that you and I cannot earn. And upon receiving this Jesus, our hearts are now regenerated and we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us of the beauty of the gospel. Third, formation. We are formed and shaped by the gospel. This is transforming grace. That as God has called us to himself in Christ and as the spirit dwells in us and works in us and we respond, our entire life is shaped and formed by the gospel. How you spend your money, where you decide to live, the decisions you make, how you raise your children, where you're gonna get married, how you're gonna get married, where you're gonna go to school, all of your life, every sphere of your life ought to be shaped and formed by your conviction of the beauty of the gospel and that is Christ's work for you. We are shaped by the gospel. Fourthly, Last one, I'm moving quickly on purpose. You can listen to the recording later. Discipleship. We make disciples. The Bible teaches us that we make disciples. Wherever it is that we are, wherever it is that you are, wherever it is that God has put you is where you have been sent. You make disciples. When it comes to the life of the church, and I'll make it personal, when it comes to the life of our church, we help one another to mature in godliness and righteousness as we pursue Jesus. We multiply disciples. That is, within the church, our goal is to be developed so that we would be sent out and make more disciples. The 19th century Baptist preacher, a favorite of mine, Chuck Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, anyway, Good old Chuck goes on to say, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let that sit for a little bit. Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist preacher from London, went on to say, every Christian, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. The basics, church, the basics take hard work and they require great intentionality. The basics take great courage because there's nothing to hide behind. When you work on the basics of whatever it is that you want to work on, everything is going to be exposed. And either we will humble ourselves or we will be humbled. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty because the blessing of these basics can sound so burdensome. The Holy Spirit resides in you. That's not just God for you, though that is true, that he is devoted to you, he is committed to you more than you are committed to him. The Holy Spirit resides in you 
The Holy Spirit works in you. The Holy Spirit works through you. So be encouraged. We talk a lot about like, hey, sit in that grace. Let's sit in that for just a couple of seconds. The Holy Spirit, God dwells in you, Christian. He works in and through you. Be encouraged. But in light of our text, let me ask you a question. Have we neglected the Holy Spirit? Have we lost sight of Jesus? You see, like the Green Bay Packers, we too need to be reminded of the fundamentals. And in today's text, the Apostle Paul helps us work through three pillars of a healthy church. And that is fruitful church leadership, fruitful church members, and a fruitful devotion. When we are better able to understand these pillars, fruitful leadership, fruitful members, a fruitful devotion, when we are better able to understand these pillars, the church is able to live out her purpose. And that is the pursuit of holiness. I thought I was going to say the pursuit of happiness, right? No. No. If you walk away with anything today, walk away with this. It's the main idea of our time. The purpose of the church. Earlier in the year, we looked at the heart of the church, the character of the church, the message of the church. The purpose of the church is the pursuit of holiness. That is the purpose of the church. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into 1 Thessalonians 5. Once more, if you just got here, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 22. Let me pray, and we'll dig in. God, we praise you for this morning allowing us to gather and worship and examine your word together. Therefore, God, would you grant us understanding this morning? Understanding so that we would grow deeper in our love for Jesus. You tell us to ask for what we do not have, but to ask in faith. And so, Lord, we ask for illumination from your word, understanding, and wisdom. Holy Spirit, guide our hearts. Expose our hearts. Comfort our hearts by your grace. And by your same grace, would you call those who don't know Jesus to yourself this morning? God, would, may you be glorified in our time together. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Ready?
All right, here we go. We're going to look at uh, uh, fruitful leadership. And so in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is writing to them. I'm going to give you a little bit of context before we dig into to these verses, right? Paul is writing to them because the last time he saw this church was shortly after he planted this church. And after he planted this church, an uproar in the city happened. Riots started breaking out because people were coming to faith in Jesus. And because the riots were so intense, Paul had to flee the city of Thessalonica. He had to flee the city for his life. And we end up learning, and all of this is detailed in Acts 17, but we end up learning that Paul was so worried about the church in Thessalonica on whether or not it flourished or thrived and, and whether or not it survived, Paul goes on to send Timothy uh, to check on the Thessalonians to see if the church is still there after such an uproar and riots and persecution. And Timothy comes back to Paul and tells him that they're actually doing really, really well in the midst of persecution. And so this is, I'm going to read to you 1 Thessalonians 3. It's not going to be up on the screen, but you can look at it in your, in your Bible. And, and you get a glimpse of why Paul is writing to them. But in addition to, them, in addition to that, you get to see Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. Here's what he says. This is 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. He writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by this affli these afflictions. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so you get to hear Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. He wanted to make sure that they were thriving, that they were still continuing to walk in this faith that is in Jesus. And he couldn't continue moving on with his ministry until he knew that they were doing okay. And so as we make our way to chapter 5, and as we park in chapter 5, in these verses, Paul is giving the Thessalonians his final instructions and blessings on what a healthy church looks like. And he encourages them to not only walk in this truth, but to be rooted in this truth out of conviction based on what Jesus has done for them. So he has spent almost all four and a half chapters telling them about what God has done for them, how they are to live. And so as we conclude, or as he concludes getting to chapter five, he's telling them, now you're going to walk in this truth based on what Jesus has done for you. And so as we look to our time, here's what you need to know. A healthy church, we're looking at three pillars. A healthy church begins with fruitful leadership. A healthy church begins with fruitful leadership. Fruitful leadership is vital to a church, and in particular, fruitful pastors, because their entire role, that is, this is my job description, their entire role is to point the church to the person and work of Jesus. That's it. That's it. More than systems, more than leadership development, even though those things are important and significant and necessary, but more than those, 
fruitful pastors point the church to the person and work of Jesus. They exalt Jesus before the church in the preaching of his word. They reflect Jesus in their walk to the church for the purpose of having the church be more like Jesus. I really want to harp on that one. What I want to do is point you to the person and work of Jesus so that you, in turn, would be more like Jesus, so that you would pursue holiness. I don't want you to be like me. I don't want a disciple of Marco. We need disciples of Jesus. That is the sole role of a pastor, to point the church to the person and work of Jesus. They encourage Jesus to the church in community, in counseling, and in discipleship settings. So allow me to break this section down, and we're looking at verses uh, 12 through 13 first. Allow me to break this section down into two parts, and we're going to do this every time we go to a new section. But allow me to break it down into two parts, okay? Fruitful Fruitful leadership consists of biblical leaders and healthy leaders. Fruitful leadership consists of biblical and healthy leaders, okay? Biblical leaders lead the church or lead the congregation in three categories, right? Let's look at uh, verse 12. Paul opens, we ask you, brothers, so he's talking to the church, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So he gives us three categories by which uh, biblical leaders lead the congregation. The first is that they labor among the church. This is actually my favorite one. They labor among the church. In other words, biblical leaders live their life among the life of the congregation. As the solo pastor for now at Storehouse McAllen, right, this is one of the things I love most about my job. I love hanging out with y'all. I love being with you. I love laughing, but I also love the counseling sessions, the discipleship moments. And if I'm honest, sometimes it gets hard, right? I can't keep up with everyone all of the time, right? But nevertheless, it's one of the most fruitful parts of my job, hanging out with you. In addition to that, one of the key words that I like in that phrase is the word among, right? That means that fruitful leaders are actually with the flock, They're actually with people. Now, I don't know other people's situations, but I never really understood why some pastors live 30, 45 minutes away, even an hour away from where their congregation is at or where their church is located. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, right? There could be metroplexes, big cities. There could be multiple reasons for that, right? But to show you how much I love that, this is just me. This is my personal conviction, not telling anyone else to do that, even though I try to convince people of this all the time, right? Here's the thing. Right? My family and I, we live 400 meters from this building, right? <laughs> we live 400 meters from this building, right? Like, that's how much I, I really am convinced by this word among. Additionally, this, this word reminds me of, of what God says through John in the opening chapter of John. He goes on to start by saying, uh, and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word 
was God, right? And then as you scroll down to verse 14, he goes on to say, and the word became flesh. So he's talking about the incarnate Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Man, I dig that, right? Because that cancels out the character of, of, of Jesus in terms of being so distant in a way. No, instead he dwelt among us. Fruitful leaders labor among the church. That is the primary work of a shepherd and a preacher. Additionally, not knocking megachurches. We need them. They're super resourceful. Not knocking them. But when I've sat with many individuals who come from those backgrounds and when they don't know their pastors or when they don't know their leaders, that's a concern. Fruitful leaders labor among the church. Number two, Paul says that fruitful leaders lead with authority. Now, that sometimes rubs people the wrong way. Right? All of a sudden you start talking about the authority of church leadership and they're like, whoa, uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. We'll talk about that for a minute, okay? When it comes to spiritual authority, if exercised biblically and in humility, it's really a leader's commitment. In this case, my commitment to you in seeing you grow to be more like Jesus. And it is you coming under that authority willingly and voluntarily. It is you saying that you want to be more like Jesus. You actually want to grow in holiness and are inviting me or your pastor, if you're at another church, to speak into your life. Man, I, I get that that's sensitive. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's incredibly important. And I'll tell you why. The author of Hebrews answers this for us. This is Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For, it's another word for because, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So in brief, I've given you my job description and the job description of fruitful leaders. And one day, I will give an account. All pastors, all people who call themselves pastors, will give an account for the souls that they were entrusted with. That's a big deal. Third, Paul says that biblical leaders admonish the church. Admonish is a good word. It's a strong word. It means correction. It could mean teaching. It could also mean rebuke. Again, the intention of admonishing a congregation is for the point of taking you to the Lord Jesus. And so when you consider correction, that's coming alongside and, and being exhorted. An exhortation is a type of encouragement where one comes alongside of another to look at the issue or to look at the dilemma together. 
It also is teaching, that is teaching and preaching from God's word to the congregation. And sometimes the text calls for a hard word. Sometimes it's a firm word. I've had some of you come up to me after I've preached and said, oh, pastor, that was so good. You convicted me. Let me just tell you, that's not me. That is the Holy Spirit doing his work in you, convicting you. Praise be to him. In addition to that, Admonishment also means rebuke. There's a difference there in terms of rebuke and exhortation. A rebuke is, man, it's, it's one-sided. It is addressing the spiritual condition of your heart. It is addressing your sin. It is calling it and bringing it out into the light for the purpose of correction, for the purpose of bringing the gospel to you so that you would walk in repentance. We looked a li- uh, at this briefly in, in Galatians. That when Paul calls Peter out, y'all remember this, right? When Paul calls Peter out, he doesn't just call him out for the sake of calling him out. He calls him out for the sake of walking him towards wisdom. That's admonishment. It was a strong word that Paul had for Peter. It was a public word that he had for Peter. But the goal was to walk him toward wisdom. When it comes to admonishment, Fruitful leaders do it for at least two reasons. They should. I should say it that way. They should do it for at least two reasons. The first is because they love their church. And let me tell you, Storehouse McAllen, I love you. And fruitful leaders are committed to the gospel of Jesus first. That's why. Next, fruitful leadership consists of healthy leaders. So we've looked at two parts, or we're looking at two parts. Biblical leaders, now healthy leaders. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, he says, uh, these leaders are over you in the Lord and admonish you, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He also mentions the word respect in the opening of verse 12. Paul says to respect church leadership, to hold them into high esteem, to hold them in love. That is from the congregation to the leadership, to hold them in love because of their work. What work? The gospel work, laboring among the church, leading with authority, admonishing the church. This doesn't mean, I'm making this personal, this doesn't mean that you never come alongside, for instance, me or any other leader in our church. That doesn't mean you never come alongside me and exhort me. I've had plenty of exhortation from y'all and I love that, all right? Nevertheless, it does mean that this gospel work greatly matters. And let me just give you a, a, a picture right now. Right now, pastors aren't healthy. Pastors are not healthy. According to a newly released study by the Barna Group, you can look for it online, they found that only 24% of pastors in the United States consider themselves healthy. And they take these six spheres of life to measure their health. They look at their relationships, uh, their, their, their spiritual well-being, emotional well-being, physical, vocational, and financial. Only 24% of pastors in the United States consider themselves healthy. Additionally, in 2020, the year no one wants to talk about, in 2020, 71% of pastors were looking for different avenues in ministry. 
Now pastors want to quit. About 38% of pastors in the United States are ready to throw in the towel. And according to the Barna Group, here are the most notable reasons as to why. Congregational divisions and financial strain and experiencing burnout. Within our own church planning network, I get to be a part of a cohort with pastors from all around Texas and parts of Missouri, and I also serve as an area director with a couple of Acts 29 churches uh, here in the valley. Within that network, within our network of Acts 29 churches, their reasons for wanting to throw in the towel, decision fatigue, discouragement, political tensions, suicidal thoughts or attempts, and family strain. Several of these reasons are leading them to seriously consider leaving ministry. Pastors aren't healthy right now. Remember, be real. I'd be lying to you if I told you I've never thought of any of those. Church leadership is never going to be perfect. Ever. The question is whether or not they are biblical, healthy, and repentant. Many of you come from church hurt, and let me begin by saying I'm so sorry if you were under unhealthy, unfruitful, and ungodly leadership. That's not the way Jesus has designed his church to be. Those are terrible experiences. In our own history, we've walked through muddy waters ourselves. And I've sat and counseled with many of you concerning those kinds of backgrounds. But additionally, let me also encourage you with a few things, Storehouse McKellen. The first is, if this isn't me laboring among you, admonishment and uh, uh, leading with authority, if this isn't me, then you need to tell me. Like straight up, you need to tell me. Additionally, if you are looking for the perfect church, then I'm telling you right now, she does not exist. Not until the return of Jesus, and that's called heaven. So she does not exist. And finally, if you're looking for a church, or if you're even here, like, if you're looking for your preferences to be exalted, that is how you think we ought to do things and the different kinds of programs and the things that you do like, you don't like, whatever. If you're looking for that over prescription, that is what God has revealed to us about what a church looks like, how to thrive and survive as a church under the, the, the submission of Jesus Christ as King, then this probably isn't the church for you. And I'll tell you that right now. Last time I said that, I'm like, hey, man, if you think this is a buffet, it's not. The door's right there. Nobody wanted to get up, right? But here it is, right? If you're looking for preference over your prescription, this isn't the church for you. This is not the church for you. And let me invite you to repent. Let me invite you to repent. The church doesn't need more consumers. The church needs disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. A healthy church begins with fruitful leadership that is biblical and healthy. Pastors who are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that takes us 
to fruitful members. See, unfortunately for many, when it comes to leadership, that's where it ends. That the health of the church is simply the pastor or the pastors or leadership team making it all happen. After all, that's why they're paid. Or maybe they're just super Christians. And that's unfortunate because it's not how it's supposed to work. And so as we consider verses 13 through 15, we need to learn that in order to be a church, in order to be a healthy church, it also requires fruitful members who are committed to the work of the gospel. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells the church in Ephesus that the role of church leadership is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He says it this way in verses 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up, he tells us why, for the building up of the body of Christ. In our passage this morning, Paul shows us what Ephesians 4 looks like. If Ephesians 4 is the macro, 1 Thessalonians 5 is on the ground. It's the details. And so before we dig into this section, let me begin by saying that if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus and the Holy Spirit resides in you, then, listen to me all, you are called to ministry. Everybody's always asking about God's will for their lives and tell me what God wants. I just told, what? Oh yeah, he just told me that you are called to ministry. You're welcome. All right? You are called to ministry. How do we know that? From Ephesians 4. And 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us what that looks like. Okay? And just like the first uh, section of our text, I'm going to break this down into two parts. Intentional and missional. I want you to know, now this is fruitful members. I want you to notice, I didn't say intentional or missional, but the agas broke, right? Intentional and missional. All right, here we go. Let's begin with intentional. The question here really is, what are you being intentional with? You're being intentional with one another. I've had some of you ask me, what do you expect from us? Like, how can we help? First Thessalonians 5 will answer that question for us. You are to disciple one another. And here's the thing. You can only do this well if you are first rooted in who Jesus says you are. It is out of your identity that you do the work of ministry. So let's open it up. Paul goes on to say, this is at the end of verse 13. He says, be at peace among yourselves. That is, you actually pursue peace among one another. There's that word, among, right? Not that you pursue peace at a distance. Not that you just, oh yeah, I had beef with so-and-so and we just really don't talk. No, that you pursue peace among one another. That means you are killing gossip, that you are repenting toward one another. And if you genuinely have beef with one another, that you are pursuing peace with one another. Not showboating it or, uh, you know, like sub-messaging it on Facebook, not sub-messaging it on Instagram with posts from other accounts, but that you actually pursue peace with one another. The second Paul goes on to say, 
And we urge you, so there's urgency that comes behind these things. We urge you, admonish the idol. There's that word again, admonish. It's a very strong word, right? So that means there's going to be correction. That means there's even going to be rebuke. The word idol here can have two meanings. It could mean that this is an individual that has gone rogue, right? They're making their own decisions. They're not in community. They're not in the gathering. Maybe they're making poor decisions, but they're just out on their own. It could also mean an individual who has become apathetic or lazy. And what is the role of the church? To go and admonish the idol, to go chase them down, to go looking for them, to pursue them, sometimes rebuking them, sometimes correcting them for the purpose of walking them toward wisdom, not just dropping your truth bombs. That's how you admonish the idol. He continues, encourage the faint-hearted, These are those who are discouraged and disheartened, like you know people within the church uh, community, people who are genuinely discouraged. They're disheartened. Maybe it has been a really hard year for them. It's been a hard week. They're discouraged and they're disheartened, and they need the fresh water of the gospel. They need to drink deeply of the promises of God's word for them. Therefore, they need you to disciple them, to pray with them, to support them because they're discouraged, they're faint-hearted, they're losing sight. Finally, he says, help the weak. The word weak implies those who are struggling to abandon their sin, those who are still pursuing sinful pleasures that they can't kick what they're still uh, involved in, whether it's addiction to, to, to substances or drugs or to porn or whatever that looks like. Like they are weak. They are unable to abandon their sin and they're struggling. They almost suffer in silence. And that the role of the church is to actually go and pursue them, to help them. And he continues. He continues by saying, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Not repaying evil for evil, rather Reflect Jesus to one another. That doesn't mean that your role is to be walked all over. That doesn't mean that you are to be passive. But it does mean having the courage to confront a brother or a sister with their actions or their sin and the gospel. It's not just calling them out to call them out. It is committing to walk them toward wisdom. Fruitful members are intentional with one another. That is the role of the church. Fruitful members are missional towards those who don't know Jesus. And let me back up before I get into that. Going back to being intentional with one another, listen to the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir up means that we're purposely trying to create not just rhythms, but friction, right? We're purposely trying to smooth it out. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So yeah, it is part of the Sunday gathering. What's, what's uh, uh, 
encouraging about this is that they're struggling to meet on Sundays, even in the first century. You still had dudes watching whatever the equivalent of Netflix was on Sunday mornings in the first century. I don't know what that was, hanging out with their camels. I don't know, right? But here it is, right? They're struggling to even meet together on Sundays in the first century. So it's not a problem unique to us. Moving on, fruitful members are missional where they are. That same verse, Paul goes on to say, always seek to do good to one another, so that's to the church, and then there's this little, little phrase, and to everyone. And to everyone. That is those that you're around, those who don't know Jesus. The word always implies that your godly conduct is actually a lifestyle. It is a part of who you are and how you walk where you are. It's not just when it's convenient. He's talking to the Thessalonians who are experiencing persecutions. It would be as if he would be talking to us in terms of the COVID year that we just had, the chaotic type of seasons that we've looked at in 2021. In spite of those things, he's saying, always do good to everyone else. The word do means to chase down. Or, I love this definition, right? When you, when you uh, uh, break it down, zealously hunt down. The church's role is to zealously pursue one another and those who don't know Jesus. That is your role. My job in laboring and monishing and, uh, and leading with authority is so that you would be equipped to do this. to intentionally pursue one another and to intentionally pursue those who don't know Jesus where you are. All of these, admonishing, helping, doing good, all of these have a twofold meaning. The first is that Paul is assuming that they, and in turn we, are proactively, here's some alliteration, proactively pursuing people. There's the assumption that the church is proactively pursuing people and with the intention of not letting them go. Zealously hunt down. Jude says something similar, like you're thrusting yourself into their life to snatch them out of the fire. You pursue one another, you thrust yourself into their life and into their mess so as to not let them go. Let me ask you, is that not the gospel? You see, the work of gospel ministry, church, the work of gospel ministry isn't simply a work that just needs to get done. Rather, it's a work that reflects Jesus to one another and to a watching world. The question was, is that not the gospel? Think about it. Don't write notes. Think about it. Is that not the gospel? At one point, you were once the idol and he pursued you. At one point, you were the one that was faint-hearted and he comforted you. At one point, you were the one who was weak and he rescued you. Being at peace with one another begins with being at peace with God because at one point, we were the enemies And Jesus saved us. All of these things, Jesus sets the example in laying hold of us, even in our sin, taking our guilt and bearing its penalty 
on the cross. So what we do is a direct response to what Jesus has done for us. All of this responsibility that you carry requires intentionality. But all of this responsibility is empowered to you by the Holy Spirit. Because we've been so honest, it's never going to be convenient. Admonishing the idol, going and chasing the one who is lazy and apathetic or who has gone rogue, helping the weak, the one who can't get out of their sin, that's never going to be convenient. So stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to put it in a box. Let's stop being the church is like, hey, I'll pray for you. Yeah, just let me know if you need anything. What if we actually followed through with it? It's never going to be convenient. It's always going to rub with your schedule and your preferences. Always. When we focus on the basics, everything is exposed. I mean, consider 2020. Everybody had to focus on the basics, just preaching the word. Granted, it was from a video, but that was it. Just preaching the word. The church's idols were exposed for the last two years. So when are we going to wake up? Because many of you fell asleep in 2020 and you're still asleep. This is your responsibility. This is your church by stewardship. Fruitful members are committed to the work of gospel ministry because of their identity in Jesus and the formation of the gospel. So now we conclude looking at verses 16 to 22. When a healthy church has fruitful leaders and fruitful members, the church walks in fruitful devotion. That is, the church is able to walk and live out her purpose. And what was that purpose? Holiness. Holiness. When the church has fruitful leaders and fruitful members, fruitful devotion takes place. The church now pursues holiness. Holiness sometimes feels like it's not tangible, but it is. It's tangible because it's seen among the church as she fixes her eyes on Jesus, the beauty and splendor of Jesus, especially in hard times. Paul's writing to the Thessalonians in the midst of persecution, right? We're coming out, however you want to look at it. We're coming out of the pandemic or in the middle of whatever. We're coming out of that, like difficult seasons, difficult seasons. In his final instructions in verses 16 to 22, Paul lays out, he lays out six ways for us to pursue holiness. And I struggled with this text a little bit because it's just like this giant list, but that's okay because it's organized and it's God's word. So it's profitable for preaching, teaching, reproof, and rebuke. So you got beef with that? Talk to the Lord. Here are the six ways, or here are six ways. I want to say that these are the only ones. Here's six ways in which Paul lays out for us to pursue holiness. The first one is joy. He goes on to say, rejoice always. Notice that he didn't say happiness. He didn't say pursue happiness. Now, let me just tell you, I'm not knocking happiness. Happiness is a good thing. God wants you to be happy. That's, I'm not knocking that. But happiness is circumstantial. Happiness fades. It's all cool when you got that promotion and then it's like six months later and you hate your job, 
right? Like, <laughs> where's the happiness? No get happy, right? Like, there you go. Happiness is circumstantial. He says joy. The church must cultivate joy. Joy is a lifestyle rooted in the truth of the gospel in spite of circumstance. Joy comes from knowing God and being known by him. You, Christian, have access to the Father. Jesus has made that way for you and dwelled you with the Holy Spirit. You have access to the Father. You can cultivate joy in spite of your circumstance. And once more, 2020 and 2021 has shown that because everyone's plans were wrecked. And all of those circumstances didn't care about your plans. The second is prayer. See, prayer is not simply a form of communication. Prayer is coming before and sitting in the presence of God. We could say it this way, that prayer is communing with God. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, that it is a lifestyle, it is something that you're cultivating, that you commune with the Lord. It's not like he doesn't know what's going on, but you're just putting it all on the table before him because he's a good father, wants to listen to his children. It's not like he's unaware. And I get it. Sometimes you don't feel it. I get it. I'm not knocking that. It's not unique to you. It's not unique to the Christian where sometimes you don't feel it. The question is less about feeling it and more about faithfulness. Sometimes, and this is what I do, sometimes when I'm not like really in it, I'm just reading one of the Psalms out loud because I know if I just sit in silence, I'm going to get distracted by things I need to do or things I want to go and do or other things I, I can be doing. So what I do is I'll read scripture out loud. And you know what? Sometimes I walk away with no like nuggets of wisdom. And that's okay. It's showing up, being faithful. Third is thanksgiving. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. I love this part. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Once more, everybody wants to know about God's will for their lives. Here it is. Right? At the end of the day, like he's not going to roll it out and be like, this is what's going to happen when you're 12. This is what's going to happen when you're 22. This is what can... No, bro. Like that's not the way it's going to work. But there are these sections of scripture where he lays it out very clearly. First Thessalonians is one of my favorite books because he does that on a number of occasions. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, this is God's will for you. And everybody's like, yeah, what is it? And he's like, your sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, hey, God's will for you is to give thanks in all circumstances. Thankful for what God has done for you in Christ. When we are thankful, we're better able to combat bitterness and discontentment. So let me ask you, are you bitter? Are you discontent? Are you frustrated? More than likely, we can tie it back to man, a lack of thanksgiving. Next one. Everybody's ready for this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. Everybody's like, oh man, hyper spirit. Listen, Paul's not being hyper spiritual here. 
right? So stop trying to make something out of it that it isn't. So when he says, don't quench the Spirit, he's specifically talking about the Holy Spirit. He is saying that the Holy Spirit resides in the life of the Christian. The Holy Spirit's job is to make you more like Jesus. As we respond to him working in us, we become more like Jesus. We quench the Spirit. And you can substitute that word. We quench, we grieve, we forfeit, we forget, we neglect, we ignore. We quench the Spirit when we become idle. In the context of this passage, he's talking a lot about being idle, a lot about being faint-hearted, a lot about some discouragement. When we quench the Spirit, it's when we're becoming idle. You could even say it this way, you're quenching the Spirit when you're becoming hard-hearted. Don't quench the Spirit. In other words, don't neglect the Holy Spirit's prompting. Don't neglect what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Don't neglect when you get that conviction. Don't neglect that. And he goes on to say, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. The prophecies in the context of 1 Thessalonians 5, he's not talking about something crazy. He's talking specifically about God's revealed word to you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't hate God's word. He has revealed himself to you. Man, delight in his word. Depend on his word because it will help you to delight in his word. It will help you meditate upon his word. It will help you remember what he has done. Meditate on what he is doing. Celebrate all the things that he's done around you. He will give you guidance by his spirit as he has revealed himself through his word. Don't despise it. When you're coming up to those decisions where you're coming up with you're not sure what to do, he goes on to say, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Man, how can we test everything if we're ignorant to God's word? If we're actually not spending time in God's word, how can we actually do that? Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to, the, to God's word, that Jesus is ultimately our anchor. And then finally, he says, abstain from every form of evil. I think up there you're going to see holiness. I would say it this way, more it's like righteousness. Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness. It's not just about don't do this and don't do that, but it is that you have been made holy. You have been made new. And if you are new, then seek the things that are above. All of this, church, is because we are first rooted and established in the work of Jesus for us. Paul says it this way to the Colossians, as you have received Jesus, so walk in him. Walking in step with the Spirit means that we are committed to fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's not that we're perfect, it's that we're repentant. It's not that we have it all figured out, but we know the one who does. It's not that we rely on our way, but we point one another to the way of Jesus as we respond to the Spirit. Fruitful devotion is cultivated as the church, us, as the church responds to the Holy Spirit's work in us. Those are the three pillars. A healthy church has three pillars. Fruitful leaders, fruitful members, and a fruitful devotion. The reason we paused on Galatians is because I wanted to give you an update because I don't know what other time would be good. If you think about it next week, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's always kind of a lower Sunday. And then 
like December comes and everybody's like, oh, I got vacation, I got this, I got the other. So I'm going to bring it all up here right now. I want to take this time to transition into giving you a giving update. Now, if you're a member and you've been receiving the emails, then this isn't going to be news to you. Now, if you call Storehouse McKellen home, right, if you're saying, oh, I'm a member, but you don't get the emails, right, you, like we don't have any of your contact information and you assume you're a member because you're here every Sunday, like that doesn't help, okay? So if you need to get your email in there, talk to me after service. But I want to give you a quick giving update. And I mentioned this to you last week in an email. So there's two things that I want to look at or two categories that I want to look at. Closing 2021, looking at 2022, okay? I'm going to give you good news. I'm going to give you challenging news. And then I'm just going to give you news. And you would say like, oh man, is it bad? That uh, depends on you, right? <laughs> Let me take a swig of coffee because I'm talking a lot. All right, here we go. Tony's looking at his watch. I'm going, bro. All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to break the silence. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. All right, 2021. <laughs> Sorry, serious, man. Okay, in 2021, right? Here's, this is a, a kind of a broad review of the email I sent you last week. In order to not, that's the key, in order to not dip into our savings any further, I mentioned that we needed an additional $3,500 on top of our budgeted giving for November and December, okay? Currently, we budget about $10,000 every month. So when you consider four weeks in a month, the goal is to hopefully, I hate using the phrase bring in, but for lack of a better phrase, if you got something else, tell me. But in order to bring in uh, over the course of a month, we need to bring in about $10,000. That pays for all our ministry expenses, salaries, and certainly the building and, and rent and all that stuff. With that being said, right? We needed an additional 3,500 for November and December, right? So that bumps it up to like what? 13,500, right? For the month of November, and we're not even done. We still got this week and we got next week to finish. For the month of November, check it. Don't even write notes yet. Check it. You have given over $15,000 for the month of November. You can clap. That's a good thing. Like that's, <laughs> right? That's, that's wonderful. You've given over 15,000 over $15,000 for the month of November. So praise God. Man, November's like covered. That's wonderful, all right? For December. Now, and, and I mean, I didn't want to say this only because it sounds like a bursted bubble, but it's not. When it comes to November, man, it's been your generosity coming through every week, which has been really good after, uh, over the last couple of weeks. But in addition to that, it was just generous giving from, from other members. I don't know who, but other, other, other members. So that's wonderful. For December, <clears throat> I want to ask you and I want to challenge you as a church to raise another 15000 This is for December for a couple of reasons. Number one, we will end the year without having to dip into our savings anymore. I mentioned that earlier. We won't have to dip into our savings. Side note, our savings is super healthy, right? It's not like it's terrible. It's really healthy, but I don't want to dip into it anymore, right? I'll tell you more on that later. Number two, by raising this 15, we will also end the year in the black. Do you guys know what that means? Ending in the black? Okay, red is bad, right? Uh, black is good, right? We will end the year in the black. That will be four years in a row where we end each year in the black. That's wonderful. Lastly, the reason I'm putting this challenge out there is because this will help us have a much better projection of our budget for 2022. 
In 2022, we want to do a bunch of different things, of which I'll tell you in a bit. But it helps us give a better projection for the next year. Because giving has been this almost all year, it's been really difficult for us to project for 2022, which is why we've had to dip into savings. So, Storehouse, let me ask, would you, would you continue to give generously? Would you prayerfully consider, if you are giving generously, would you prayerfully consider giving more? And when I say prayerfully consider, this is what I mean. After service, when you go to lunch or you go to the dinner table tonight, sit down and discuss it as a family. Talk about it. Don't you be like, yeah, you know, I probably will. No, actually talk about it. Would you prayerfully consider giving more and then making that your consistent giving for 2022? If you haven't been giving and you call Storehouse McKellen home, you say you're a member, you say you're committed to the work of gospel ministry, and you call Storehouse McAllen home, and you haven't given two things. Would you, one, consider giving one-time gifts as we close the year to catch up? And then number two, what would it look like for you to commit to giving generously, consistently, and faithfully in 2022? I'm not talking about individuals that have hit hardship. I'm not talking about, man, if you've lost your job, not talking to you talking about if you're an individual who's here in our church, you call church, uh, you call Storehouse McAllen home, you're involved in community groups, you've received counseling, you serve on teams, but you don't give. Would you consider, let me invite you to repent and then to consider giving one-time gifts and then asking the question, what would it look like for you to consistently give for 2022? So that's 2021 in a nutshell, all right? So again, good news, some reality. Well, more reality. Now looking at 2022. Depending on how December goes, we're going to base our projection over November and December. But depending on how it goes, as we walk into 2022, if we can see and project that we can raise between 13 to 15,000 every month for 2022, not only will we be able to start saving again, but we'll be able to put the money necessary into at least three areas. Theological development, community groups because they're growing, and missional efforts. Like missional specifically to the city of McAllen. Not, not the entity of city of McAllen, like the community, right? Theological development, community groups, and missional efforts. And under community groups, I would just call that group life because that's community groups, that's the men and women's gathering, that's student ministry, all of those smaller gatherings, kids ministry, all of that, let's just funnel that into what is called group life and then missional efforts, right? Because here's the truth. This is the hard, this is just the reality of it. If we're unable to maintain that level of giving, we, if we are unable to maintain that level of giving, at some point, as we dip into savings, that money is going to run out. A couple of weeks ago, as we looked at that For the Church series, I told you there are these beautiful kingdom realities that the gospel provides, two of which aren't always talked about, are people and money. And uh, if we have none, then, then there is no church. I'll tell you what one individual told me a couple of weeks ago when, I, when we were in that For the Church service or sermon series. They said, man, they, they were convicted and compelled, uh, they, I should say, they were compelled to give whatever it is they gave. I don't know. 
But they went on to say, as my family and I considered that, I realized that if this is an area I don't step in, I love my church, and if this is an area I don't step in, I'm trying to remember the quote exactly. If this is, I love my church, and if this is an area I need to grow in, I realize that if I don't give, I won't have a church to love. So we're in this together, okay? But that's the reality, that if we can't maintain that 13 to 15, right, at some point we're going to be dipping in our savings a lot, and that money's going to run out at some point. In 2022, I'm going to be doing some fundraising with some church partners. I'll keep you informed over that. In addition to that, in December, if you're a member, in December, via email, you're going to receive a ministry plan. And that's me giving you the details of, hey, this is what we're doing. Right? This is where this money's going to. This is all that. This is not the annual report. You get that in January. This is the ministry plan for 2022. If you, got more que- if you have any questions on that, talk to me after service. Right? If you're a member, you could ask all the detailed questions you want. I'll hook you up with anything. You want to know how much we spend on printers? I'll tell you how much we spend on printers. Like, say something. But don't just be like, no, I don't think I need to say anything. That's it. 2021, 2022. Wonderful work for November. 15,000 for December. Let's keep it going as we walk into the new year. And so as we close, as we get back into this text briefly, I want you to know a couple of things. Stars McKellen, I love you. I love you. I love our church. But I love Jesus infinitely more. Stars family, I love you. In case you don't hear me, Miguel. I love you. But I love my wife and son way more. The health of the church is never one-sided. Just because I and others are leading from the front doesn't mean that you're simply a passenger. You are a participant in the health of Storehouse McAllen. And to what end? To what purpose? For the purpose of pursuing holiness, exalting Jesus as you live, love, and serve one another and McAllen. So let me end. Christian, I don't think, as we looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, I don't think any of your preferences were listed. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't think any of your preferences were listed. So, do you embrace preference over prescription? Preference of what you want, what you like, what you don't like, prescription, what God has revealed. (laughs) Do you embrace preference over prescription? Is there complaint rather than confession? Gossip instead of gratitude. The beauty of God's grace is that even right now, as you are sitting there and I'm standing here, the beauty of God's grace is that even now he pours his grace out onto us. And it is by his grace that we are saved and we are sustained and we are sanctified and able to repent. If you didn't know, let me tell you, repentance is a grace where he meets you where you are and points you back to himself. Lean into that. Confess your sin and repent before the Lord Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I love that you're here. It's an honor. And if you're like, man, this guy would talk about money. I rarely talk about money from the pulpit. And believe me, go listen to four years worth of sermons, okay? With all that being said, my hope, more than money, my hope is that you would come to know Jesus. 
The church is all about Jesus. The church is also filled with hypocrites. Yet here's the only difference. They're not better. They're just repentant. So if you don't know Jesus, you are not a part of the family of God. You are still an enemy of God, estranged from God, alienated from him. Yet he provides a way for you to come and know him. And that is through Jesus. Jesus is ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. So place your trust in Jesus. Church, the purpose of the church is to pursue holiness and to present one another mature in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness. We confess our shortcomings. We confess our offenses against you. In your presence, we can cast our burdens that our bones have grown so weary of. We can cast them before you. You alone know how often and how easily we wander from your ways, forgetting your grace and in forgetting your love for us in Jesus. So God, we confess that we are easily captivated by something else, even when it sounds godly or spiritual. Lord, today, may we stand in awe of your grace for us in Christ. May our hearts be captivated by the beauty and splendor of Jesus for us. May our life be marked by holiness. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.